Good morning. morning. (laughs) You know, um, we didn't leave the heating off deliberately this morning to keep everyone awake, but it might help. (laughs) It was actually something of an encouragement to make sure that you were dancing earlier, actually. It's a good way of warming up when the heating's not working. Um, Okay, if you have a Bible, do turn to Matthew chapter 10. It's going to be a few minutes, honestly, before we get there, so I'm giving you fair warning (laughs) that we're heading towards Matthew chapter 10. Uh, together this morning. Our series uh, that we're in at the moment, which goes on, I think, probably just until next week, just in this month, has been uh, about discipleship. And this morning, we're looking at the subject of uh, the mission of a disciple. Uh, Whilst you're looking there, let me just do what Keith said I might do, which is underline the fact that in a few weeks' time, we have what we're calling a learning community here on the 11th and 12th of uh, November. Keith was quite nice about it. I'd like to be a little bit clearer, probably, um, which is just to say, if you are involved in leading a missional community, if you're on a team that's leading a missional community, I'd like you to please to see that event as essential, not optional. Um, I don't know quite what a three-line whip is, but if we had one, I'd like to apply it. And so it's really a key time for all of us. And In terms of all that God's calling us to do together as a church, if you're in that role in the church, please, please, please be there. If you've got something else on, see if you can move it and the Lord will bless you. I promise. Um, So there we go. Uh, Also, I can't see Beverly and Josh Joshua around this morning. um, But just to say, for those of you who don't know, they had a baby boy. His name is Joel. I was born last week and he's beautiful and cooed all the time that I was visiting them. So uh, do pray for them. Okay, so in the last few weeks as we've looked at discipleship, here are some of the things that we've looked at. We've looked at how discipleship is so not about us, uh, but all about what God is doing in us, how it's about the heart and about us giving everything to him. Uh, Last week, Steve Thomas helped to look at the fact that discipleship is made real in an actual relationship with someone who will train us. So if any of those things you missed and you want to get your head around, then you can go online and hear those talks from the last couple of weeks. This morning, we're looking at that aspect of discipleship, which is the call to go and make disciples. And I believe I've got some really practical and empowering help to offer this morning. Can we have the next slide, please? This is uh, my friend, also Joshua, and from India. Um, until recently, uh, Joshua was here in the summer, by the way. You may have heard him speaking briefly. Until recently, he was the anchor person on a broadcasting program with a Christian broadcasting network in India with a daily audience of 70 million. And in that role, with the opportunity to speak and to speak God's word to 70 million people every day, uh, he heard God say to him to give it up and instead to go and work with individuals. Which is a slightly surprising thing. Why would God say that to him? Well, it's because of this, these words that are here. These are the words that God gave to him. It's not just about addition, but about multiplication. Multiplication, that is, of the life of God that's in us being fully formed in other people. Not just seeing people make a sort of one-off decision and cross a line and gain a new label, but having the whole of life transformed. Um, I've got a couple of graphs this morning. Uh, a little dim and distant background as a scientist. Some of you will like graphs, some of you won't. But just imagining that if you were such a good evangelist that you could see 50 people come to Christ every year, 
Um, then over a period of 12 years, you would do really well. You'd see 600 people come to Christ, and that would be really, really good. If you had a different ability, which was to reproduce the life of Christ that's in you in one person each year, um, then at the end of... Don't click yet. Um, at the end of... No, definitely don't go there yet. We've missed a whole slide. I don't know what's going on now. Whoa! Okay, well, there's another... Just, just if we can get the next graph, we'll have it then. I mean, it just shows that at the end of the first year, instead of there being, there wouldn't be just the one of you, there wouldn't be 51 that your evangelist friend had gathered around, but there'd be two of you. You know, then if that had happened and they were able to do the same thing because you'd fully formed, you'd seen something fully formed in them, and they could themselves go and win someone and see the life of Christ formed in someone else. At the end of two years, there'd be four of you. You'd then be 90 eight behind your evangelist friend. But I don't know whether we'll get the line or not, but there you go, that's what happens. In the fullness of time, there is this massive explosion of multiplication that goes on. And uh, hopefully uh, that makes sense to you. You might be crunching numbers in your head, (laughs) I don't know. But the long-term intent that God has is not just to see sort of people cross a line and, and maybe come and sit in church meetings and have the label of being Christian, but this is why discipleship is the hope of the world. Uh, church growth and the growth of the kingdom of God is less influenced by the number of high-profile preachers as it is by the number of ordinary Christians that are involved in the task of making disciples. Does that make sense? And it's because of this. So let's just be clear what we mean by the word discipleship, because sometimes we think of the journey of somebody, the spiritual journey that somebody's on, from starting out right, maybe right at one end, saying, I don't know anything about God, I'm not interested in God, uh, it has no relevance to my life, maybe there's even a step further away, which is actually I hate the whole idea. And there's a journey that many, many people go on, and some of you have been on this whole journey yourselves, and say, actually, I have some awareness that there's a spiritual side to life, some awareness of God, actually an interest in God. I understand something of who he is and my need to respond to him, and actually, I've entered into a relationship with Jesus and experienced what it is to be spiritually born again. It's wonderful. And then the journey carries on as a Christian as we learn to clear out some other rubbish that's in our lives, as we get set free from things. <laughs> it's not me. And uh, as God grows in us, godly character, and we learn to share that with other people. So there's quite a journey that we can go on. We have a bit of a tendency to call that bit evangelism. And that bit, discipleship. I don't know if that's how you, if you use those words at all, how you use those words. But the New Testament talks about making disciples. It's one of those Greek verbs that doesn't translate very easily into English. But the whole, that's what Jesus says in Matthew 28. Go into all of the nations making disciples. And that disciple-making process begins right over here. And discipleship is actually properly understood as the whole process with a key moment of people encountering Christ and being transformed in being born again. So conversion matters, but the whole thing is to do with discipleship. And so 
as I talk this morning about the mission of making disciples, I would really like to encourage you not to think about those two things as if this is one kind of activity that's going on and this is another. Of course, the transformation of becoming a child of God is utterly central. But the whole process is about the gospel. It's all about the gospel. The whole process is about being formed more and more in the image of Christ. And actually, part of becoming a disciple, as I said, is learning to be a disciple maker. That is, to help people that are in that process themselves to come along and continue on in their walk with God. Is this making sense so far? Okay, so just want to... Make sure you understand what I mean as I'm talking about discipleship this morning. Um, We will have the next picture now, which is one I've used before and I think is quite good as a picture of the way in which this multiplication happens. It happens because God has poured good stuff into our lives in such abundance that there's an overflow to other people. That's how... It's meant to work. In 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, uh, Paul writes to Timothy, The things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. And Paul envisages here like four generations, if you like, of the outflow, the tumbling out of the message about Christ. Paul himself has it. He's entrusted it to Timothy. Timothy knows that it's been shared with many other people. uh, But Timothy is encouraged to entrust it to reliable people who will teach others. There's an expectation that there will be an overflow. And in that, a multiplication going out and going out and going out. And the point is that this is seen in the New Testament as normal and natural. And it's seen that way because of the quality of what God puts into us. What he puts into us is his own, his very word, which is life. He puts into us his spirit, who is life, and life in abundance. So the nature of what God has put into us is it's an overflowing kind of a thing. Jesus talks about streams of living water flowing out from within us. That's not a picture of something that is contained and sort of simply poured into us to top us up and fill us up and bless us. You know, God does all of that with us. But the nature of what God puts in us is it's an overflowing thing. And so there's an expectation that it's normal for this kind of a thing to happen. So there we go. That's by way of introduction before we get to Matthew chapter 10. Let's read in Matthew chapter 10 and from verses 5 to 14. It says that Jesus sent out his 12, who've just been named in the passage. You won't go over them now, but these 12 whom he's called to him. And this is what he said to them. He gave them the following instructions. Don't go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. 
Don't take any gold or silver or copper in your belts. That's no money. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting, which would have been peace be with you. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it's not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that home or town. And there's some keys here that I just want to go through, Um, some questions that will help us. Because uh, I've just said there's a naturalness to this. This multiplication is not something that we have to work ourselves up to so much as something that occurs Well, we could say naturally, we could say perhaps better supernaturally, because spiritually, uh, as God's at work in our lives. So what do we make of it if we're not seeing that multiplication? That's my question, really. Why why might I not be multiplying the life of God? And I think there are four questions that we can ask out of these verses, which will point us towards some practical changes that we could make in our lives. And the first question is this from verses 5 to 6, and it's this question, am I lacking focus? If I'm not seeing this kind of multiplication go on, might it be because I'm lacking focus? You know, Jesus' instructions assume that the disciples might get distracted from the mission he's giving them by going to other places, that there will be something attractive about going to the Samaritan towns, something attractive about going to the Gentiles. Maybe it was to do with the fact that, actually, his disciples were from a, a kind of low-status section of the nation of Israel. They would have faced snobbery. We know that from later on in these, the stories in the New Testament. People looked down on them because they were uneducated. People looked down on them because of where they came from in Israel, Maybe they might have been tempted to go to a place where people might treat them as equals and receive them a little bit more readily. I mean, we don't know why exactly they might have been tempted to go to other places, but Jesus had sent them quite particularly to the lost sheep of Israel. And he told them, just be careful about that. You might be tempted to go here and there, perhaps feeling that it might be easier to go here and there, but don't. Stick at what I've called you to do. Uh, now, as um, Christians in a charismatic church, uh, one of the phrases that one of the pictures from the scriptures that we find a lot of help in is that of the cloud, the pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, that was with the people of Israel when they had been saved from slavery in Egypt. So they were wandering around the desert, and there's this pillar of cloud and fire, fiery cloud which uh, told them that that was a sign of God's presence. And when the cloud moved, they wanted to move where the cloud was. And that's an important principle for us, which you know, when we sort of work out its significance for us today, is to say, you know, what really, 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 really matters to us is that we know that we are involved in what God's doing. It's not about us just kind of wandering around and finding out what we think should be done, but 
Estella, uh, as I was praying for the student team, the fact that God's presence is with us makes all the difference. And we don't want to compromise on that. We don't want to miss out on that. The whole idea of trying to make a difference for God without his presence, I mean, it's just crazy. Uh, sometimes, though, I wonder whether we start out trying to do something and then we find it's a little bit difficult and then we think, actually, it might be easier to go and do something else instead and we go off to do the other thing uh, which turns out after a little while, well, it's kind of exciting to begin with, but it turns out after a little while to require the same kind of hard graft that the previous project, the previous endeavour did. You know, oh, it can't be that the Lord's with us in this one either. So, oh, there's something over there that looks like it might work. Why don't we go and do that instead? And we can live. It's a danger for us. It's because we're people that know the presence of God matters, and because we know the presence of God brings success, there's a little mistake that we can make, which is to imagine that the success comes just like that. (laughs) When actually sometimes there are periods of persevering and sticking at things. And in this question of making disciples, you know, if parents gave up you know, with, if, you, if as a parent, you know, you had a child who, you know, after six years is still not behaving perfectly, you know, I'm not sure the Lord's with me, let's go and find another one. I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? It's not ha- how you'd think about it. There's a certain need to stick with those people that you know God has spoken to you about discipling. Is that right? Yeah. Now, I think that the area where we're most tempted to give up and go and look for something newer and shinier is probably not in parenting. Uh, It is in in this kind of bit that I was talking about earlier where we're trying to help people who don't yet know the gospel, trying to help those people understand what Christ offers to them. There's every temptation for us to give up because we're not seeing much fruit and just go and try to do something else instead. A former head of IBM was once asked what he thought was the most common mistake made by businesses, uh, and in particular by management consultants who come in and try to tell businesses what to do. And his answer was along the lines that uh, businesses are always tempted to reorganise and restructure instead of focusing their attention on delivering well the core thing that they're about. Actually, delivering the thing that you're supposed to be doing well is hard work, And it's always more exciting to just try to restructure things. Those of you that work in education know that this is a problem that most governments, perhaps all governments, have always had with education. If you you come out with a new structure for things, it's easier to implement that than to deliver real change. So it's not just a kind of Christian thing. It's a temptation that we have to think that if we go somewhere else, it'll be easier. And I think there's something of that going on. As Jesus says to these disciples who become apostles, he's sending, out, sending them out to reproduce the life of Christ. He says to them, just stick at it. Focus on what I'm calling you to do. Don't get distracted by something else that might seem easier. So one question I want to ask you this morning is, if you're not seeing this overflow of life, is it maybe because you're just a little bit scattergun, uh, sort of throw something out here, you know, do something there, whatever. Don't stick at anything for any length of time. Don't wait to see the fruit. It's a possibility. And if that's something that has been a habit for you, 
But I think God wants to encourage you this morning to learn to persevere more. Secondly, verse 7. Jesus said, as you go preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, what that was, was an explanation of events that were happening. As you know, people, The sick were being healed, lepers were being cleansed, people were being forgiven. There was joy and there was praise around. People were like, oh, what's all this about then? These things that are happening, what, what is this? And Jesus said, well, do tell them that what's going on is it's the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is near. There's a godly perspective on understanding what's going on. There are lots of events in our lives that we can't make head nor tail of. Things happen and, uh, and we wonder what's going on. And we need somebody to explain the significance of the events to us. It's a little bit like when, you're, when the Winter Olympics come round and they have all these kind of you know, uh, games that you've never seen before, like hurling. Is that what it's called? Curling. Curling. Hurling, is that what they do in Australia, hurling? Ireland. Ireland, there you go. I'm a real sports fan, me. And, uh, but you get with the, it's particularly, it seems to be particularly with the Winter Olympics, you get a little bit with the, the, the main Olympics in, in the summer as well. But have all these kinds of sports, and you haven't got a clue what any of the rules are. And there's all these people doing purposeful things and enjoying themselves and competing and being awarded medals. But you need a really good commentator to say, this is what's going on, to make sense. It's a perfectly purposeful and sensible activity, uh, but you haven't got a clue. Unless someone offers a, this perspective, offers commentary and says, this is, this is what's going on here. And often life can be like that for us. And for people in general, there's stuff going on, but does it make any sense to us? And God doesn't want people to live with that kind of confusion. God wants for people to have his perspective in order to make sense of life. And when we have that perspective from him, it doesn't only make us go, oh, right, okay, I get it now, but it enables us, it empowers us to live right for ourselves once we understand the true significance of events. Uh, Some years ago, when I was a student and leading the University Christian Union, uh, Jeremy, who was leading worship for us this morning, uh, was pastoring me and gave me some good advice. I was quite busy with a number of commitments that I'd taken on, and I remember going to him one, it must have been a Friday, we, we caught up, and, and I said, oh no, I've got, a, I've got all this to do, you know, I've got all this work to do, I've got all of these things and people I need to see, and tomorrow evening I've got to lead a Christian union meeting, there's going to be you know, these hundreds of people there, and I just don't know what I'm doing, and I don't see where I'm going to find the time to prepare. And he very wisely said to me, uh, words to the effect of, you know, do we live by our, you know, do we succeed in our own effort or do we live by grace, Steve? And uh, I was like, ah, that's a godly perspective. And he encouraged, I don't know if you remember this, Jeremy, at all, it was probably just a small thing for you, but it made a big difference to me that uh, he encouraged me, instead of spending time trying to work everything out, just to go and spend some time in personal prayer and worship, just give myself to the Lord and trust him that he'd support me in the moment when it came down to things. And I took that advice. It was good advice. And it it worked, I have to say. Um, Which sounds like a certain measure of surprise down, down the front here that it worked. But that's just a really practical example of how, you know, there's all these things going on in our lives. And there's another perspective often. There's a godly perspective Actually, as we were praying before we came into the meeting this morning, Anna um, 
you probably saw the same hot air balloon that we did. It went kind of straight over our house this morning. And, and as we were praying, Anna was reminded of that. And just the fact that the people that are up there have just a very, very different perspective on life compared to those of us that are crawling around like ants on the ground. And God wants to give us just a different perspective on our lives. And that's all part of discipleship. We're talking about discipleship. And the way, I mean, we can get God's perspective by reading the Bible. Of course we can. And I hope we experience that as we read it. Uh, But God also uses others of his children to give us perspective and say, you know what? You're kind of doing something that you don't really need to do there. And one of the reasons that we might not be seeing this kind of multiplication go on is if we've got a God's perspective, if we've got God's perspective on something that's going on in someone else's life and we just keep it to ourselves, that's going to be a real limit. So Jesus says to his disciples, tell them what's going on. Explain to them that with these events that are going on, what's happening is it's the kingdom of heaven that is near to them. Um, in the King's Theological College, which we have just through the way on the other side of the building here, there's a lovely postcard, um, which I think is a t- I think it's Dave Perry's postcard. It's outside his office, and it says on it, uh, "Everyone is entitled to my opinion," <laughs> which I think is very wonderful. Um, obviously, we live in a culture where people do sometimes say to us, "I wish you'd keep your opinion to yourself," and kind of fending off of us offering perspective. And maybe that has sometimes intimidated us. And we think, I don't want to be seen as sort of sticking my nose in. I don't want to be seen as thinking that I'm better than other people or something. I just want to encourage you that there are some really practical ways of opening the door to being able to speak to people about the things that are going on. If you say to people, if you start a conversation with a, well, if you want my opinion, probably the door slammed shut before you've got anywhere. But I've found that if you say to some people something like, um, do you know, um, maybe I could offer you a different perspective, or can I offer you a different perspective on, on what you're experiencing, actually doors often do swing open. People who are confused and wondering are actually quite open to hear other people's perspectives if they know that you're doing it to serve them rather than impose on them irrespective of whether it does them any good. If your heart is to serve people, if you're wanting to share something, a perspective with somebody, because you think it will help them, because you want to bless them, then that love, more often than not, opens doors and people are willing to listen. And there's also this thing that happens that when we speak the truth, when we speak something you know, by the grace of God that really is God's perspective on things, it has a kind of ring of truth about it. That there's something uh, sort of like self-authenticating about the truth. That when you hear the truth, there's a kind of, I, yeah, that is right, isn't it? it? The word of God carries weight. That's why when people heard Jesus speaking, they said, who is this? You know, he speaks with such authority. When you do share God's perspective, uh, you find that actually that in itself makes people grateful and receive what you have to say. So reasons why I might not be multiplying. One thing might be lacking focus, just kind of here and there and everywhere, and not actually sticking with uh, doing what God said to do. Another thing might be that you're a bit too hesitant about speaking 
God's perspective to people, if you're keeping God's perspective to yourself, then there's not going to be much multiplication going on. Third thing, third question, has my own spiritual life run dry? See what's going on here in verses 8 to 10. Jesus says to them, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you've received, freely give. Don't take anything that's going to help you practically. (laughs) Summary of the next couple of verses. Now, that requires a fair measure of trust in God, doesn't it? Don't don't even take a coat with you, um, or no extra tunic or sandals. Don't Don't be prepared in the natural way just go for it and trust God. Now, that is not something that you can do when you're spiritually dry. To step out with that measure of confidence in God is something that you do when you're feeling like you're kind of in personal revival. You know, all is well with me and the Lord. And this freely you've received, freely gives, it's all about God's poured stuff into us and there's an overflow. So, one reason why we, won't be, we might not be seeing that multiplication is because uh, we're not actually receiving spiritual life ourselves, and there's therefore not much there to overflow. Uh, it's not the case that we only bless people in ways that we have been blessed. I don't think there's any evidence that the 12 were dead themselves and had been raised and therefore had the capacity to go and raise the dead. It's just like when the spirit of God is active in us, when we are overflowing with his life, when we are refreshed spiritually, then there's all kinds of blessings that spill out to other people. If we run dry, there's not going to be a lot of multiplication that goes on. So when the New Testament speaks about discipleship, you know, it often uses the word imitate. Uh, the Greek word there is uh, mimic, actually, that in the process of people being helped along their journey to become more like Christ, having somebody to copy, having somebody in whom you see something good going on, you think, I want some of that, please. That's part of what it's all about. So um, 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 16, Paul says, I urge you to imitate me. He wanted the Corinthians to have the kind of life that he has. When he wrote to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 5, he says, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. And you know how we lived among you. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 9, he says that they lived in a certain ways in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. Hebrews 13, verse 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So, really practically, you know, the way discipleship works is it's we have good stuff in our lives and other people can see the good stuff that we have and say in some kind of a way, I like what you've got, please. Discipleship doesn't work by simply telling people what they should have that we're not experiencing. If it's, it's no good trying to train other people to experience the peace of Christ when we ourselves are highly stressed. It's just not going to happen. 
It's no good teaching others about how God answers prayer if we ourselves are not quick to turn to prayer. It doesn't make sense. And so here's a question, which isn't going to appear on here, but as some of you know, this is a question that's been troubling me personally ever since I heard it. The reason it's not up there is because it's a, it's a question that's been troubling me. It's not directly out of this passage, but I'll share it with you because I think it's a good question. And it's, so would anybody else really want my life? If I am sharing a vision... Uh, if I, if I, sorry, if I've taken hold of God's vision to be someone who's making disciples, helping people to find more and more about Jesus, if a large part of that is people being able to imitate things that they see in me, ah, you've learned how to pray. I think I'd like to learn with you how to pray. You know, all those kinds of things. Am I actually living a life that anybody else would want? Uh, or more, more sharply... Am I living a life that I would... I mean, do I even want my own life? If I don't even want my own life, then what on earth am I doing encouraging other people to live like me? And that's kind of got to me a little bit. Uh, It's to do with authentic discipleship, where we're not just talking the talk, but we're really living it out. Would anybody want my level of spiritual life. Uh, would anybody want your level of spiritual life? Would they, would they like that? <laughs> if we bypass that question and sort of just somehow get on with some activity and do some stuff, it's all going to be a little bit hollow, isn't it? Well, actually, what it will certainly be is really, 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 really dry probably quite arid and lifeless. And so, have I run spiritually dry? Now, the solution to this is really, really straightforward. Because those who wait on the Lord have their strength renewed. And it's not hard for us to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. As has been said, we get filled afresh, we find that we leak, we end up somewhat dry again. And I just want to encourage you to keep looking for... God to fill you up. Um, We talk, don't we, about running on empty. And, uh, you know, we don't need to run on empty spiritually. There's a tendency for all of us to turn to God when we really, 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 really need him. Because the little gauge for the fuel tank is kind of blinking. There's nothing left you're about to go kaput. Oh, goodness me, I'd better get something in the tank. Oh, Lord, I need some help. Fill me up a bit. Righty-ho. Little bit. You know, off we go again. And it's not long before we're on it. And we can live our whole lives as Christians in that zone of sort of on the edge of nothing. It's quite an anxious sort of a place to be. That's not what God wants for us. He wants for us to be filled up. And we can do that. Probably, probably... Being here Sunday by Sunday isn't enough alone to keep your tank full. If coming here is your sort of spiritual encounter of the week, and maybe it's not every week, almost certainly you're running on empty. 
to be spiritually refreshed, to be experiencing a personal revival, you know, whatever's going on in the world, all is well with me and my soul, and I love God, praise is on my lips, and, you know, I reckon I can go and see some people healed, and let's find some some dead people if we can raise them, praise God. (laughs) You know, you probably don't come in here feeling totally dry and flat on a Sunday morning and go out quite in that position spiritually. I'm sure that God fills us up somewhat. But if we're going to live, you know, with streams of living water flowing out from inside us, you know, we better be praying ourselves. We better be worshipping God by ourselves. We better be enjoying his life day in, day out. This isn't about being perfect. People don't need to see us. In terms of this discipleship thing and growing, it's not that people need to see that we're kind of right over here having become, you know, the perfect person. And therefore, it's worth in some way beginning, beginning to imitate us and learn from us. What really matters is that people see that we are receiving from God day by day. And what he's doing in our lives is making a difference. That's true for parents, by the way. Sometimes as parents, we feel under pressure to be perfect for the sake of our kids. Actually, that's not what we're called to do. Uh, if, If we were perfect all the time, how would we ever train our children about how to say sorry and how to access the power and grace of God? If they think that we just came out of the womb perfect, they're only ever going to be intimidated by our spirituality and not learn from us how to get more from God. Actually, for them to see that we muck things up and that we need to ask God for help is part of our showing them uh, how to live in Christ. So, okay, last one. So there we've had, am I lacking focus? Am I keeping God's perspective to myself? Has my own spiritual life run dry? And then finally, am I spending all my time with people who don't want to hear? In verses 9 to 11, sorry, verses 11 to 14, it should say there, um, you know, he says, go and find people, greet them. If they welcome you, stay there. If they don't welcome you, if they reject you, just move on. And go and find other people who do want to hear you. In Luke chapter 10, where there's a parallel to this story, the exact phrase that's used is, if you find a child of, a son, actually it says, if you find a son of peace, then that's someone to stay with. If you don't find that peaceful reception, then move on. And this isn't just something that occurs in the context of the disciples being sent out here, but Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, don't throw your pearls to pigs or as the more perhaps poetic thing that we've known from the King James, don't cast your pearls before swine. Uh, In English, we say, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. You might also say, you know, you can offer your toddler vegetables, um, but you can't make them eat. Um, You can speak to someone who's not interested, but you can't train them. You can't disciple them. Um, I could put it this way. We don't want to tell people about Jesus who don't want to know. Does that sound like an overstatement? We don't want to tell people about Jesus who don't want to know. 
Um, I've checked that out with a number of people recently saying, does this sound like an overstatement? And actually, particularly as I've, been, I've spoken to some evangelists, they've said, you know what, that's right on the button. What we're looking for is people in whom God is working. That's what Jesus says here in his instructions. Find the people who are open. Find the people in whom God is working. I sometimes go fishing. Um, I've tried to catch fish that aren't hungry. And I, I know this because sometimes I've managed to get my hook to land. I can see them swimming along and I get my hook to land there. There's the food. They swim straight past. They're just not hungry. You can't catch them. You re- no, really. There's, there's nothing that you can do to catch fish that aren't hungry. Now, you might say, hang on a minute, how does that fit with the first thing about focus and sticking at it and so on? Well, one thing that might help us to understand all of this is that it's at different levels, isn't it? Jesus says, look, here's your task, here's your mission, here's a group of people, stick with the group of people that I'm calling you to. But within that, you are looking for people within that group who are open rather than people that are closed. See, how do we tell whether people are open to us speaking to them about Christ? Well, I'd like to suggest that it's not by waiting for them to come up to us and say, what must I do to be saved? That's the equivalent of waiting for the fish fish to jump out of the water at you or for your toddler to inquire when they might next have some Brussels sprouts. I mean, you could take that approach but it's not likely to be fruitful. So there's an element for us of actually searching for interested people. And the way we find out if people are interested is we offer them a little bit of conversation, and if they turn away uninterested, they're not an interested person, if they <laughs> engage, if they say, oh, that, you know, and they want to have a conversation about it, then then they are a person of peace. They're somebody with whom it's worth continuing to talk about our faith. When I was a graduate student, I got really frustrated by the research group. No, not by the people in the research group, but my, in my experience in it. There were about um, 10 or 12 of us in the research group. I really wanted to have some influence to help these people find the life of Christ that would be such a blessing to them, an eternal salvation, and... After about 18 months, I realized that actually none of them were interested at that time. I think things may have changed for some of them since then, but that was how it was. And I went to see an evangelist uh, in Birmingham called Vic Gledhill to say, just to offer a bit of advice, to say, so what, what do I do about this? And he said, what you need to do, Steve, is you need to go and find some more people. Which wasn't exactly rocket science. Uh, but it was right, and actually it got me engaged on doing some things on Blackbird Lees for a while. Going to try and find some more people. There's a call to us, if we want to be involved in making disciples, to go out and look for people that might want to be trained, that might want to be disciples. This is true inside and outside the church. I've just spoken for the last couple of minutes about sort of outside the church. Are people interested in Jesus at all? Should we talk to them? You know, I found the same thing to be true in the church. Because we have a culture of personal pastoring in the church, I've sometimes um, had people who wanted, who said, you know, I want to be discipled by you. Actually, when we started to get together, 
they don't. Well, he said maybe they want the label of being discipled or something. But when I started to say, okay, well, what about this then? You know, and there's not an openness to change after all. You know, I found it's true that you can lead a horse to water, you can't make them drink. That we want to be speaking about Christ to people who are receptive to change, be they Christians or not. So I hope that that little list um, is something that you can reflect on and say, okay, because I'm kind of assuming here that if you're a Christian, uh, then you want to see the life of God multiply from you. I'm taking that as a baseline assumption. Of course you want to see it. Why wouldn't you want to? The life of Christ, the message of Christ multiplying in the world. Why isn't it happening? Here's a few thoughts as to why it might not be happening uh, if you look down that whole list and you think, goodness me, all of those are an issue in my life, uh, which they may be in some measure, then we have a couple of minutes to be quiet and give you a chance just to ask the Holy Spirit to highlight what there is that he would like you to respond to this morning. And as Keith said earlier, we're going to break bread. And if this list of things looks a little bit like a list of things to have to do, well, we're turning right back to the grace of Christ this morning. It's all done As Graham was saying earlier, by him, he's done all the difficult stuff. And we're going to make sure that we finish this morning by receiving afresh from him.